<laughs> Thank you, everybody, for your your giving and your singing. It sounded wonderful, didn't it? You know, yesterday we had a there was a memorial service for Pastor Rodriguez in the Canton Church, and I want us to keep in prayer Lucy, his wife. Um, I had a call from someone yesterday that their pastor passed away, but I wasn't given a name. Did we lose a pastor here in Cleveland yesterday? Yes. Most of you, you remember Pastor Eugene Anthony. Pastor Eugene Athan came here to preach a couple years ago. He got heart attack yesterday morning and he passed away. Oh, okay. Uh, I forgot to mention that, I'm sorry. But uh, okay. I got information through my friend yesterday that he passed away. Is his wife alive? Uh, his, his wife's her name? Yeah. She, her wife's name is, uh, I can't remember. Her name. We want to keep her in prayer. You know, it's tough when you lose a loved one, so. Yeah. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead. Father, we, we know how hard it is to lose a loved one in this world. But we know it's not the end. That you have the power to raise them back to life. And Father, we look so forward to that wonderful day, the resurrection. It's uh, specifically we, we were raised as a people up to prepare the world for And so, Father, we just want to be mindful that these two pastors had served in a mighty way in this uh, Ohio area. And we just want to remember those who are the survivors, the wives and the children, uh, that they'd be strengthened during this time. And, Father, we just place them in your care, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one of the most... uh, Important verses in the Bible to us as Adventists is Revelation fourteen twelve. Here's the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So in this coming year, I want to spend time really focusing on the Ten Commandments and the faith of Jesus. There'll be other topics as well. But you know, one of the things is we're getting very near to the end. This is our identifying work. And how do we keep the Ten Commandments if we don't have a deeper, broader understanding of each commandment? And that the reason, as we go through this sermon, we're going to realize that the reason you want to keep every one of them is because you're showing, no matter what happens in your life, you could lose everything, but you'll still choose to keep them because God is worthy, because God is good, God is love. And, um, and this, of course, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Job a little bit in this. But I, I chose this one because I was reading um, Brother Andrews had written a book, uh, The Ten Commandments and the Faith of Jesus. And he's one of our pioneers. And, and he's, one of a, he's a great writer. And I was kind of brief going through his book, and I saw this chapter on Thou Shall Not Bear False Witness. So that's what our message is today. We'll begin there. You know, as you look at this verse, um, it's not about believing something that's not true. It's about telling things that aren't true. You see what I'm saying? You're bearing false witness. You're saying something to someone 
and it's against somebody, ultimately you're saying it to actually hurt somebody else. And the Bible greatly forbids this, for us to ever do this, okay? So, let's look at what the um, Spirit of Prophecy tells us about this verse. Okay? And there we go. Now, look at the, notice the emphasis. Again, it's not about believing things that just aren't true, like doctrine, though that's an important topic. But in Patriarchs and Prophets 309, you can begin around 305, and this is Ellen White's explanation of each one of the Ten Commandments. And as you read this section, you'll realize that the, the commandments are broader and they're deeper, and that's what we want to do. We want to grasp the richness of each commandment. But notice what she says here. False speaking in any matter wouldn't matter the topic. Every attempt or purpose to deceive our neighbor is here included. An intention to deceive is what constitutes falsehood. By glance of the eye, a motion of the hand, an expression of the countenance, a falsehood may be told as effectually as by words. All intentional overstatement, every hint or insinuation, calculated to convey an erroneous or exaggerated impression. Even the statement of facts in such a manner as to mislead is falsehood. This precept forbids every effort to injure our neighbor's reputation by misrepresentation or evil surmising, by slander or talebearing. Even the intentional suppression of truth by which injury may result to others is a violation of the ninth commandment. So a person may say something about someone but not tell you the whole picture and with the intent that it would cause harm to that person. That would actually be considered a violation of this commandment. So when you look at an intentional lie, even though we were just told it could be the glance of the eye, but let's think of it as a statement. Someone makes this statement. An intentional lie, it's a statement, but it's what? It's false. It's actually not true. And it's known by the speaker to be what? He actually knows. That's why it would be an intentional, where a person becomes a false witness. And it's said with the intent... Now, the, the, the statement may be said about person A, but they're saying it to person B. So two things are actually being wrong here. Number one is misrepresenting person A, but that's not the whole problem. You're also trying to deceive person B. And that, to me, is, is almost as bad. Okay? So, Lies per day, and this is just one survey. You can look at a lot of different surveys, but they did a survey and found that about 60% of the people said, well, I didn't lie today, okay? I didn't say anything, it wasn't true. But 25% said they told one or two lies that day. Uh, 1% tell about 20 lies a day. Now, that's a real problem, isn't it? That's what we'd call a habitual liar. 13% tell about 10 lies a day, Okay? 50% of all lies are told by 5.3% of the population. So if you had a congregation, I don't mean that this applies necessarily to a congregation, because this is a general population. But if you have 100 people, five people in that group tell half the lies of the whole group. And that general, I think, is really true. There's a lot of people who don't tell lies. They'd feel really bad about telling a lie. 
Um, there's some that say, ah, just a little one that's not so bad. You know, <laughs> but, but there are people where this is a real problem. You might even say it's like a disease. And But as we'll get towards the end of this, there is a remedy. Isn't that right? Uh, because we can keep how many of the commandments? All ten by God's grace, right? Now here's the thing about you tell a lie, you get caught telling a lie, and now you're trying to justify telling the lie. See, that's different than just telling the lie. Okay? So notice here, if a person gets caught lying and then justifies the lie, he actually increases the chances that this becomes habitual. Because what he did is he just justified lying, which means in his mind he's convincing himself it's not so bad to lie. Now he's more likely to keep lying. Okay? The word ethics comes from an ancient Greek word meaning habits. So you don't say, well, a person has ethics. Well, everybody's got ethics. Everybody's got habits. It's whether they're good habits or bad habits, right? And so once you justify dishonesty in some circumstances, lying simply becomes easier. And we know that not because the old adage, well, once a liar, but it doesn't have to be that way. Once a liar, a person doesn't have to keep lying. They can actually start telling the truth. But there's something that physiologically happens to us. The amygdala, it's a part of the brain... Research has shown using functional resonance imaging that moral choices like dishonesty do have observable effects on the brain. For example, the amygdala, the part of the brain that deals with our emotional responses, shows less activity as the people lied more. Isn't that something? Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, is that they took a group of people, and people scored really high. There was a lot of activity in the amygdala, when people were telling their first lie, they were feeling really bad about it. There's a lot of activity because this is where we have emotional responses. It became very emotional thinking about saying something that wasn't true. But once the people said more lies, there was actually less activity in this part of the brain. So they were actually destroying their own brain by lying. They were making it easier to not feel bad about lying. Isn't that interesting? And this is why God, God doesn't just want us to just outwardly keep Ten Commandments. He gives us these Ten Commandments so that we can have a healthy brain. Because every time you break a commandment, you literally are destroying your brain and your health and your character. And so God says, no, I want you to be blessed. I want you to have life more abundant by being obedient to my moral commandments. This is all very real. This is physiologically true. And the thing is, is that um, when lying no longer stirs up these negative feelings, this activity in the amygdala, that we are more, we increase our, our, mag, our magnitude of lies. It might start with a little one, but then it, it just gets bigger. And the last part here, the brain can adapt to, less, to lessen the stimuli of the guilt, is this that according to neuroplasticity, the brain is malleable. It, 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 it adapts to the thoughts that you choose to have. And physiological change are actually taking place. So when we usually think of lying, we think about how it damages the outside world. But ultimately, it damages what? Your inner world. It damages you. 
as a person. It destroys your mind, your character. It even harms your emotions. Because when you get to a point where you don't feel bad about lying, is that a character issue? Absolutely. Are you more likely to say bigger lies? Absolutely. And I'm telling you, friends, we're heading into a time and they're going to say, you got any Adventists in this house? You really believe the seventh day is the Sabbath? And the devil knows that if you don't have your character intact, you'll be more likely to lie your way out. But this is where you want to have integrity. You want to have those laws written in your hearts and in minds. And you look like those three Hebrew worthies that, hey, you can throw us in a fiery furnace, but it doesn't matter. We know what's the truth, and we're going to tell you what we believe is true. Right? This is the kind of people God needs in the end of time. Lying, of course, affects the outside world. It hurts people. It hurts relationships. Uh, it destroys trust. If a person lies to you enough, you get to a point where you start thinking, I'm not sure I can trust what he's saying now. Okay? Now, when you start thinking about Lucifer, when we think about Lucifer, who's the father of lies, in Isaiah 14, 14 through 16, he wanted to be who? He wanted to actually be above God. I don't know how that happens. But anyway, to be above God, sit on the throne of God. But Ezekiel 28 tells us a little bit, Isaiah 14 tells us about his ambition. Ezekiel 28 tells us what was going on in his brain. Okay, notice this. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by the reason of thy brightness. It didn't have to. He could look at all his talents and give credit to God, or he could abuse his mind and his character by attributing it to himself. But it goes on and says, Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. And in most translations, the word traffic is described as dishonesty. So really, ultimately, what was destroying Lucifer's character was lying. It begins with self-centeredness, looking at himself and saying, boy, I'm a really pretty good choir director. I, you know, I, I should be sitting in the councils with God. But to go from there to sit and be above God, you have to say what? You've got to say lies. You have to be dishonest about the whole situation. And that's what he was. And this is eventually would destroy the sanctuaries of his mind. And sanctuary really is a very spiritual word. That he was destroying his ability really to know God as God really is. And the less he really knew God as he was and lifted himself up, he actually got further from God. And as he got further from God, he did what more? He lied more. At first, I don't think that was easy for him to do. But after one line and another line, another dishonest thing and another dishonest thing, he, it turned into outright rebellion at the end. But it didn't start that way. But it begins that way. So what are the physical effects of lying? Well, this first one's actually not true. Your pants won't catch on fire. But it is an old adage, right? But lying releases stress hormones, which increases heart rate and blood pressure. Stress reduces your body's number of infection-fighting white blood cells. 
So, boy, if there was ever a time to tell the truth, it's right now, right in the midst of COVID. And a thousand other viruses are out there. COVID isn't the only thing that endangers your health. We thought Alina might have had COVID this week, but she was sick for two days. She got some other kind of virus. But it could have been COVID. could have been other things. There's other things coming down the track that will probably be worse than COVID-19 with a different variance. And does telling the truth affect your health? Yeah, we know physiologically it does. That if you tell the truth, you'll be healthier as far as your immunity. Okay? And that would be true of every one of God's Ten Commandments. So truth, the truth about lying, no pun intended, but lying erodes trust. And lies and trust cannot coexist. You can't have trust and lying going on all at the same time. Lying shows a lack of respect towards others. Because when you intentionally tell a lie, you really don't respect the person you're telling it to. Isn't that right? And that gets to number three, that lying disrupts the natural equilibrium of brotherhood. And what I mean by that is simply that God gave man dominion over the fish and the sea and all the creatures, but he never gave man dominion over his fellow man. And Jesus would say, the greatest among you is him who serves. You're not like to be around the, uh, the, the rest of the world where everybody's above somebody else. You're all what? You're all equal. But think of what lying does. If you lie to deceive a person, did you just destroy that equilibrium? You're no longer equal anymore. Because the lie is to lift the person up who's telling the lie, and by deceiving him, you've really what? You lowered them. There can be no equilibrium here. And yet in the end of time, God's people are to have a unity that cannot be shaken. You see what I'm saying? If there's ever a group of people who treat one another like Jesus, it has to be the church and the people who have the message because if you don't have that, the devil's going to find a thousand ways to divide you. But you've got to start with keeping the commandments, Right? And this is as important anyway because dishonesty creates disunity. Okay? Lying demonstrates selfishness. That would be the purpose for the intentional lie. And lies beget lies. It's just the seed principle, which is a good principle when we do good. You do kind things, you're more likely to do another kind thing. It's, it's the begats principle. Everything begats something else. Everything after it's kind. The one thing about lying is that it says, thou shalt what? How often? Just not. No lie, no more, no false witness. Because as far as God's concerned, and cinnamons with this, is, is this simply prohibited? As a follower of Christ, you are prohibited. It's illegal. It's outlawed to tell things that aren't true. That's how serious this is. Antimins would be where people think, well, it's allowable. It's permissible. You can say a little bit of a lie here, a little bit of there. It won't do any harm. But it does do harm. It does a lot of damage. Think about how serious this one is. So when you look at Deuteronomy 19 at the bottom here, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition or inquiry, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, 
and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. That's a pretty serious principle. This is how God looks at this. So if you accuse someone for stealing someone's ox, and you do it falsely, and you get caught giving them a false witness, then you'll be treated as if you stole the ox. And in some of these situations, the penalty is what? This is very serious stuff. This tells you how seriously God looks at it. I know the world doesn't see it that way. They may even have arguments where lying can be good. But God says it's forbidden. It's just forbidden. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridles not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is... And this gets us to this revelation. Well, I'll get to it in a little bit. But if you keep the whole law and yet offend in... And that's where it becomes vain. It's How do you draw closer to God if you keep doing things that he's forbidding? See what I'm saying? But notice this beautiful verse here at the bottom. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth, and in their mouth was found what? And the word guile means what? Deceit. Those who are striving to follow Jesus wherever he goes have decided that whatever they say is important. And in their mouth, there's no more deceit. There's no more lying because there's none in the heart. There's not actually even a desire to lie. And that's what we need eradicated from our heart. It's not just the act of lying, but what would even motivate us to want to do it. And if we humble ourselves and see each other as better than ourselves, there's no reason to lie about other people. And there's no reason to lie to lift yourself up. If we look at things the right way, and it says, and that found in their mouth no guile, for they're without fault before the throne of God. And it's a very interesting context. They follow Jesus, there's no deceit in their mouth, and God finds no fault in them, because we are judged by our, our words and our actions, isn't it? Okay. So what is sin? What, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is a transgression of law. And we're looking at one of those laws, the ninth one. And it says in James, For whosoever shall break the whole law and yet offend in what? He's guilty of all. So I can keep the Sabbath, but if I'm spreading things that aren't true, am I keeping the Sabbath? I'm really not keeping any of the laws. And this is where we must strive. Now, God's not holding you accountable for things you don't understand. But, Knowing that we don't understand everything inspires us to keep doing what? Studying. I know this much about the law, but there's this much to know about it. Is that right? We can get a deeper, broader understanding of each beautiful commandment. Because imagine this life. That you could live a life by God's grace where you would never give a false impression. Is that a beautiful life? A life where you would always tell the truth. That's a beautiful life. I know that I could never live that life without 
God's power. But with him, I can, I can do all things. And the reality is you can't keep even one of the ten without him. But this is where communion with him, dependence upon God, realizing that he's the one that's magnificent. Not us. See, this was Lucifer's problem. He started putting himself on a pedestal. And once you do that, like a goat, you start trying to knock somebody off off the hill to be on the top. And it's just not the way God created us to live forever. Okay? This beautiful verse, which I want us to focus on in the coming months and so forth, here's the patience of the saints. And patience is implying that they're facing opposition. That they're patiently keeping what? The commandments. That even when a trial comes, even when you're tempted to break one, you still patiently keep it. And you're able to do this by the the faith of Jesus, because it's the only way you can do it. Because it was the faith of Jesus that led him to keep his father's commandments out perfectly. And that would be to have the mind of Christ, the humility of Christ, the faith of Christ. And that's the key. It's not about me trying to improve myself. That will never be good enough. It's about putting on Christ, which is about learning and keeping God's beautiful Ten Commandments, which is really a description of the beautiful life. So God is truth. Think about it this way. God himself is the God of truth. Is this right? And the Son is the way, the truth, and the life. God's word is truth. Is this all true? It is. Every bit in this Bible is true. And the Spirit is what? He's truth, and he'll only lead you where? To the truth. And the law is truth. Every Ten Commandments is truth, which is why we keep the Sabbath, because it actually is true that God actually created the world in what? Six days, and he rests on the seventh. This is actually true. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a Sabbath. It wouldn't be in God's commandments. But the law is truth. So when we walk away from telling the truth, what are we walking away from? You're actually walking away from God, not that you're intentionally doing it, But that's the natural outcome of that. So to get closer to him, we need what? We need truth, and we need to tell the truth. And we do all this through Christ. Now this is interesting here. uh, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And that's an interesting statement, the beginning of what? It wasn't from the beginning of his creation, was it? He wasn't a murderer from the time he was created, but he became a murderer at some point, right? And abode not in the what? When did he start becoming a murderer? Based on this verse. As soon as he started lying. And because there is a connection. The Pharisees would lie about Jesus and eventually led to his death. They would say all kinds of things about Jesus that weren't true. And everyone they said made them dislike him all the more. Is that right? 
And so when Lucifer filled his mind with things that weren't true, he went from outright 100% love for God to outright rebellion because he didn't abide in the he didn't abide in the truth anymore. Which means at one time he had it. Because if you're not abiding anymore in it, that means at one time you did. He had all the truth a created being could understand. And he started walking away from it and started believing things that weren't true about God and even about himself. Okay? It's actually how we know he took a third of the angels. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4, it said, uh, His, speaking of Satan's tail, drew a third of the stars of heaven, or the angels. His tail did it. And according to Isaiah 9.15, the ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the... Well, he's not a physical tail. This is symbolic, right? So a tail in Bible prophecy represents lying. So when the devil took a third of the angels by his tail, he did it through... And this is what's interesting, is that these angels didn't even know what a lie was until Lucifer started saying it. I don't even know if they had the word lie in their vocabulary. They had never seen it before because until Satan started lying, nobody had ever lied. Nobody had ever questioned God's character before until he did. There was a starting point. And as some of these angels listened to it, they wound up being deceived by things that simply weren't true. And that's how the devil leads us away from the truth, right? Is getting us to believe things that aren't true, okay? Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because a person can lie by just simply questioning a person or a group of people's motives. So the context of this is simply that God is meeting with the sons of God, it's some place in the universe. And these are the leaders of all those unfallen worlds. Adam would have been there had he remained faithful. Lucifer shows up. And Jesus says, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You're not a leader of a world. You were an angel. You don't belong here. You're, you don't have the credentials for being here. This isn't a meeting for angels. Even bad ones. Just leaders. Well, the reason Lucifer came is because Adam forfeited being at this meeting through sin. So Adam couldn't be there. So Satan thought he could be there, and it's like, well, what do you do? Well, I was roaming to and fro on the earth, and it's, it's kind of like in my mind, it's mine. So I can be here. And so now this discussion takes place, and the Lord says this to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewest evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, he's, he's saying something that's false. And what he's doing, he's planting a seed, he's questioning. He's questioning God. He is admitting that God blesses people, right? So, he's admitting that God blesses people. But the only reason God does it is to get people to worship him. That's his, that's his argument. Because if you take away all your benefits, they're going to wind up cursing you. And Job's just like that. 
You take away everything he has, and he won't love you anymore, he won't worship you anymore, he won't follow you anymore. So how does Job defend himself? I mean, his whole, his whole character's been in question now. Yeah, there you Yeah, very good. And then how does God even defend Job? It should be enough for God to say, no, Job is righteous. And everybody said, okay, God said it, that's good. But you see what Satan did? He planted the seed. Question the motives. And what do you do? You get to defend yourself by saying it's not true? The only way Job could defend himself and has God could defend himself was by time and circumstance. That over time, Job would say, as he began after he lost everything, and imagine you come, you're, you're in your car and you get a phone call and you hear that all your children just died in a car accident. And then you get another phone call and say, I'm sorry, Jeff, your house just burned down. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff, this is Dr. So-and-so. You've got cancer. That's what happened to Job. And Job and Satan saying, if you do all this, and this was this kind of a scary verse. God said, you could do anything you want to Job, you just can't take his life. And Lucifer did. He took everything but his life. And you know something? Job still worshiped God. And do you know why we, as God's commandment-keeping people, have the faith of Jesus, why we'll lose every earthly support? Do you know why? It's to answer the question. Okay, you've got one person in history who did this. Is that it? Imagine in the end of time when God's people lose every earthly support, And you've got a movement of people who still what? They still worship God. And the reason you still worship God is because of who He is. You don't need another reason. You don't need a blessing from God to worship God. You don't need a car. You don't even need good health to worship God. God is worthy to be worshipped because who God himself is. And in the end, God will give us the privilege of proving that, not just to the human family, but the entire universe. Amen. And then people, when you've got your robe on, and maybe you'll get that red trim, meaning you're a martyr, and people say, there they are. They were the ones at the very end who lost everything. And they still worship God, just like we do. That's the privilege, my friends. That's the privilege of living in this time. Not that you choose to be a martyr, look forward to being a martyr, try to make yourself a martyr. You just trust God. That he's in control. We know these things are coming. We know he's preparing us for each trying circumstance. But what's more important than studying news items off the internet is to study what? The character of God. 
and ask yourself the question, do I love God because of who he is? And if that's so, what is it about God that I love? I start writing down a list and go over and over because you know at that point, it becomes a lot easier to choose to, re- to obey. And you always keep in mind, I'm not doing this to get a prize. I'm not even doing this to get eternal life. I'm only doing it because God's worthy. Amen. So, this is Satan's assertion that no created being would continue to worship God if everything's taken away. Uh, so we just covered this. And so, in the end, notice these two opposing sides in the end. We looked at this before, Revelation 14. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And in their mouth was found no God. There's no deceit. They're not lying. They're not telling lies. For they're without fault before God. But notice the other side. The ones who gain control, the reins of government. And I saw the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And the beast was taken. And with him, the false prophet... That what? Wrought miracles before him with which he did what? Isn't that something? The ones who lose every earthly support are always telling the truth. And the ones who will gain control of this entire world are using what? Deception to do it. They're telling lies about which day it is, other things in the Bible, but they'll be telling lies about you. You're the enemy of the state. Are you? How's that possible? How could a person who always tells the truth, who doesn't steal, wouldn't even steal away someone's hope, wouldn't steal away their reputation, wouldn't even consider stealing something, but rather, how can I give? How can I help? And you start thinking about each one of these Ten Commandments. That is such a beautiful life. To have God write those Ten Commandments on your heart. And these people are the enemy of the state. And ultimately, the reason Satan has to use deception is because it's the only way to get the world to persecute who? The commandment-keeping people. The only way he could have possibly taken a third of the angels was by deception. The only way he could have got Eve to disobey God was... It's the same thing, friends. And this is why lying is so evil. We must not only tell the truth, but have a passion for it. And the reason we have a passion for the truth is because we're sanctified what? You can't be sanctified by lies or error. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. And so if you only want to know the truth and tell the truth... You have to, and to be guided by the Spirit, you've got to only want to know truth and to tell it. You want to bear witness to the truth. You want to speak the truth in love. You want to have, actually, a love for the truth. Are you going to feel better by telling the truth? How do people physically feel when they they lie? You know they do lie detector tests because it physically shows up, right? Palms start sweating. They might get a little achy in the back, you know. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, but still. It doesn't completely eradicate it, you know. So, this is where, this will be the last slide. 
whether you lie 20 times a day, 10 times, or one time, the first thing we have to do is recognize it. If a person fails to acknowledge that they've lied, are they going to repent? The first step, the first remedy, is to simply acknowledge that we've done it. Right? Because if we don't acknowledge that we've done it, we're not going to be sorry for what we did. We won't actually confess it if we don't acknowledge it. So ultimately, I have to be able to acknowledge and say, Father, I have this problem. And then, having acknowledged it, God will give me a sorrow for sin. Not a sorrow for the penalty. Not a sorrow for the consequences. But you're really sorry that you actually did it. And you confess that sin to God. And if you've deceived people, you tell them, I'm sorry, I said this and it wasn't true. And then there can be restoration. If you stole something from somebody, you need to, you need to give it back. Right? But also to have faith in God. That if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's right. Even the ninth commandment. And this is faith in God. Not faith in yourself, but I know God can forgive me of this and God can cleanse me of this so I don't do it anymore. You see, this is God's gospel. And then testifying of his saving grace and say, praise God that he delivered me from this. Now, you may not say every sin you've ever committed. We're not looking to glorify sin. But we are willing to, wanting to glorify God who gives the victory. And then lastly, abstinence from that sin. Deny yourself. You get the urge to lie again? No. Pray about it. Step back. Oh, I almost said it. You just step back and you pray and ask God to give you the victory. Will he give that to you? Absolutely. God's able to give us the victory over every besetment. But we've got to want to be free. You've got to want to be free. You've got to really want this. To be cleansed. And God will cleanse us from all iniquity. Before we have our closing hymn, or our closing prayer, our closing hymn is what? Number 625, 625. If we could all stand once you find it. Number 
And that's what we're aiming for, at higher ground. I did want to make mention, Pamela said you passed a test. And Julie passed a test. Did you get to share that? Okay. She passed hers too. Okay. All right. That's a kind of higher ground. But God wants to lift us all up, right? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you take us just as we are. With all our faults and no matter what we've sinned or how many times, you are willing to forgive and to cleanse. Father, we want to continue to remember the, the loved ones who survived the loss of their loved one. Uh, Father, we want to keep them in our prayers and ask that you strengthen them. And for us to give us the victory, Father, and may our true motive to be made righteous be because you are a God of love and that you are compassionate and that you do love us. Help us to get to know you better each day, Father. In this we pray in your precious Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.